Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horniman, aka the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thyroid bioregulators, they honestly could be the next big answer in improving hypothyroidism. And I really believe that they are on the forefront of, of treatments that could and all bioregulators, I'll say, beyond thyroid, treatments that could change the way that we age and that could potentially change the way we treat in medicine. My guest today is Phil Mikens, and I have been trying to get Phil on. We've been clashing with schedules. There's been bioregulator shortages because, hey, they're popular. Let's just face it. Like I just said, they could be the answer. But Phil and I finally got together. This is going to be part one of two because I'm going to bring Phil back on. We need to keep going with this discussion. It could have been a three-hour podcast, honestly. Well, let me tell you about Phil. So he has qualifications, including a master's degree, bachelor's degree from the UK and the US in food and vitamin technology, pharmacy, and biochemistry. You'll hear him say he's a, a recovering pharmacist. Because, you know, I mean, there's a place for medicine and then there's a place for bioregulators and peptides. He's been actively involved in anti-aging medicine since the late 80s and has contributed to numerous books, magazines, radio, TV shows, tons of podcasts on healthy aging. Currently, he's the editor-in-chief of Aging Matters magazine, the assistant editor to the Lifespan Medicine Journal, and director to the British Longevity Society. And this was the one founded by Marios Karazias. I don't even know if I say Mario's last name properly at all, but he is the Mac Daddy of bioregulators and peptides. Phil also advises the Stromboli Conference on Cancer and Aging and the London Anti-Aging Conference. In 1991, he was co-founder of the IAS Group, the International Anti-Aging Systems. This is an organization dedicated to the dissemination of preventative and regenerative medicine information and the supply of hard-to-obtain health products. So we're going to have the link to that in the show notes so you can go there and check out all the good stuff he has. 
way beyond thyroid bioregulators, but the thyroid bioregulators that we talk about are on my store and they're going to change. They're going to change you. They're going to change the world. Phil, we've been talking about this for so long. And I know my listeners have been waiting to hear about bioregulators because I'm always talking about peptides and the benefits of peptides. But now we're into not a totally different realm than peptides, but but you know, bioregulators are kind of like the next big thing. And they might even overtake peptides in what they can do and their effects on the body. So thank you for jumping on here and bringing us your knowledge on this. Oh, and my, my, my pleasure. I can't wait. I can't wait. So let's just start off with the big, broad question. Okay. What are bioregulators? Basically, it's a term that's been developed by Professor Vladimir Kavinson and his team, a very long and established institute that resides in St. Petersburg. And um, basically, there are two things. Well, firstly, what is a peptide? Well, a peptide is made up of amino acids. So the moment you get two amino acids that are conjoined, you have a peptide. That's called a dipeptide. And, and, you know, some people say in the medieval swamp, that was the moment when they conjoined that you had information, you had instructions. So bioregulators, uh, peptide, are short chains of amino acids. So what we're talking about are two, three or four amino acids. They are particularly short because, of course, there are lots of peptides out there, BCP157, just to name one, that are much longer and you might get into, I know, semorelin, for example, you know, and of course we change the names as the amino acid chains get longer. We might call them proteins. We could even end up calling them hormones. So human growth hormone being 191 amino acids. And of course, when the chains get very long, they get problematic in the delivery. In other words, they, you couldn't swallow them and expect them to go through the stomach. You would, you would have to inject them or maybe use them as a nasal spray or some, some other means. But these very short chains, two, three, four, they do pass through the stomach. So they are bioavailable even if swallowed. And there's all the studies out there because what we're talking about used to be a Soviet military secret and they were playing with these 30 and 40 years ago. So they have masses of information, a lot of which is now in English. And the other thing that makes them very unique, and this is the hardest part to understand, to be honest, and I think even Professor Kavins and his team haven't really elucidated as to why they have this effect. What's the special thing about bioregulator? Because there is a gazillion two, three and four chains of amino acids out there, peptides, but they're not all categorized as bioregulators. So in this meaning, if we take, for example, the thyroid, a lot of the adult population, as you know, Amy, is, is hypothyroid. They don't produce enough thyroid hormones. So if you take the thyroid peptide bioregulator, it would activate genes that would endogenously make your own thyroid gland make more thyroid. But weirdly, if you were hyperthyroid, in other words, you have too much circulating thyroids, the same peptide silences the same genes to bring you down. So it, it, it bioregulates. Somebody said to me recently, it sounds like an adaptogen. And right. I had say ah actually yes and i would even go as far to put a theory out there that it could be that these adaptogen plants contain some of these peptides because what we're talking about here is throughout nature in plants in animals in us 
Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the, the adaptogens, because I thought the same thing when mm -hmm. I heard you on Ben Greenfield's podcast describe specifically, and I was super happy that you brought up the thyroid bioregulator, that it can literally bring someone from a hyper state down to normal and bring someone from a hypo state up to normal. And that is fascinating. And it, it doesn't matter how many adaptogens are out there on the market, supplementally, nothing, nothing hits the thyroid like that. I mean, that is just flat out amazing. It could actually change the way that we do treatment for hyper or hypothyroidism, any kind of thyroid disease. Yeah. yeah. I'll say one caveat. Okay. You mm -hmm. have to have the gland, right? Okay. If, if, you've, if you've lost your thyroid, if you've had it removed, the peptide isn't going to operate for you. It needs the gland there. I know that's, there are handfuls of people. I know thankfully it's not many people, but it is, it does happen. And mm -hmm. there are other peptide bioregulators like the testes, the prostate, the ovary. Again, you have to have the gland. Yeah, if the right. ladies take the prostate, won't work. If if the gentleman takes the ovary, won't work. Right. So, but but that's just a handful, a handful of them. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It is very very unique, and it also I think helps to explain. I spoke to Professor Cavinson not that long ago, a few months ago, and I asked him in the forty years it had been on the Russian markets, and when I say Russia. I mean, Russian speaking countries, it is in the Ukraine, it is in Kazakhstan and, you know, places like that. Mm -hmm. And he thinks it's been they've been dosed over 100 million times. OK, so be, originally it was designed for their elite troops. It was designed for their cosmonauts and it was designed for their Olympic teams. Mm -hmm. Obviously, since Russia's changed in the 90s, the market has become commercialized. They're on those markets as food supplements, not the injections. But right. the actuals are on the market as food supplements. And but the injections are used in clinics as well. That's something you want to get into that. We'll get into that. So and as a result, they're on wide use. And the amazing thing is, in all that time and in all those uses, they have never documented a serious side effect. And it could be because of this bioregulation. So coming back to the thyroid again, you could imagine that if you're going to be taking a thyroid uh, medicine every day, whether mm -hmm. that's T3, T4, or maybe maybe armor, mm -hmm. the desiccated natural thyroids, you would have to monitor yourself because you are literally putting the hormone in, right? right. So sensible people would want to make sure they're not you know, going to superlogical levels and possibly downregulating their own thyroid gland from any production. I mean, that does happen in different glands. But the peptide works in a very different way. You're not putting the hormone in you. You're putting in a peptide which acts as a gene switch, which enables your own thyroid to produce more and in balance, you could argue as well, right? T3, T4, T1, T2, the forgotten thyroid hormones, as I like to sometimes refer to them. Um, yeah, thank you. So That's you what know, I call them too, Phil. I love that you just <laughs> said that because I, I call T2 the forgotten thyroid hormone because it does so much, but we can get to that, right? Yeah, no, cool. And uh, and I think that's also why prior to the peptide, uh, my favorite, because I used to be a pharmacologist. And so my favorite, as I like to say, I'm a recovering pharmacologist, but but my uh, favorite was was the natural thyroids like armor. Mm -hmm. and, and it was only fairly recent. I, I thought the reason that most patients seem to do much better on those than something that was pure T3 or T4, especially T4, of course, and you go there, but um, was because it contained all four of the pig porcine glands but i found out only a few years ago that the pig thyroid i'm sure you know this is bioidentical to the human mm. 
-hmm. exactly the same, which is unusual. That doesn't happen with animal hormones very often for obvious reasons. So I think that's another feather in its cap for desiccated mm -hmm. uh, thyroids. But in this case, what we're talking about, of course, is a, is a very different matter. But those, there are two choices in the peptide world. The first choice is, of course, you have a synthetically produced molecule. Okay. And then the second choice, of course, is you have a naturally derived molecule. So it is actually possible to get these natural peptides from cows and pigs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So bovine and, and porcine, but they're filtrated to such a point that you're getting just the peptide. And I always say folks, cause they always raise it. Of course, will I get mad cow disease from it? No. Well, firstly in a hundred million doses, it's never been seen, but it's impossible because to get a prion, you have to have a Dalton sized molecule, which is fairly large in the world of chemistry. And the peptides are nano sized. They're tiny by comparison. So there's no, the animals are healthy anyway, but beyond that, the filtration system means that no prion could pass into the product. So I think it accounts for their very good safety profile. Very nice. And one thing I, I have to circle back on, so I don't forget when you were mm -hmm. mentioning about not having a thyroid. So I do have listeners that have had a total thyroidectomy, uh, radioactive iodine treatment on their thyroid. What about those who have Hashimoto's and over the years, their thyroid gland has slowly been destroyed and it's kind of teeny tiny right now because mm. it's just been eaten away by their own body for lack of a better description. Would the mm. bioregulator still be something? And we're not saying go off your medication, but mm. would the bioregulator still be something that they could bring in to potentially get a little bit more optimized in addition mm. to their thyroid hormone replacement? The short answer is, in the majority of cases, yes. There are potential issues with people who suffer from very potent autoimmune issues in that they shouldn't go on to the peptides too quickly. They should slow down their approach. And of course, those who are on medications already supporting their thyroid glands, we have to say, monitor yourself extra carefully because you may, if you, you know, if you're putting in, I don't know, whichever hormone you're using, mm -hmm. um, if you're going to add the peptide, you're going to encourage your own thyroid to produce some more, maybe not as much as you'd like if you have a, a greatly atrophied thyroid because of Hashimoto's, but there should be some impact. And because of that, you may need to reduce the medication that you're on. It's something okay. to be aware of. Or hopefully you might come off it, but at least, you know, monitor yourself extra carefully during that time. Definitely. I think that's important to note too, as well, because people will, they'll pile it on. I mean, they'll, yeah. they'll take the bioregulators and they'll keep taking their meds and they might go hyper. Sure. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, sorry, sorry for interrupting you, Amy. Okay. I'm, I'm sure, you know, and I'm sure through your great podcast, you maybe told this story, but forgive me if I tell it again. You know, I quite like looking back at the old fashioned ways of doing things. Yes, blood tests are wonderful and, you know, it's great. Keep doing them. But there are the old before there were blood tests. What did they do? And of course, thyroid is a is an amazing thing, because, as you know, it's very much involved in our temperature regulation. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm going to speak Celsius. You'll have to get the calculator yep. out. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> but these are the numbers in Celsius. So when you get up in the morning, you know, get a thermometer. First thing you do. And of course, it's so easy now. Put it on the forehead, stick it in the ear. 
and note your temperature and look at and do that every day for about two weeks and see what your typical number is. And you'll be amazed how close those numbers will be. But you should be for a healthy thyroid. You should be between 36.3 and 36.7 degrees Celsius. OK, now, if you're regularly under 36.3 and I you know, some folks drop into 35s, um, you are hypothyroid, you have a weak thyroid. And of course, should you be over regularly over 36.7, you're hypothyroid. But it's so unbelievably accurate. And as you whatever you do in your uh, regimen, whether it's, uh, you know, taking iodine, eating seaweed, um, taking armor or using the peptide bioregulator, whatever it is, if you keep monitoring your temperature, you will see the change, the incremental 0.1 Celsius change. It's quite remarkable, quite remarkable. No, it is. And that is the old school way of doing it. And actually, one could argue possibly more accurate because we know when, especially over here, well, I have patients in, in, all across the world, so mm. I see it everywhere. Doctors will only test that thyroid stimulating hormone marker, that TSH. And we know that that can be wildly inaccurate. So now we have someone walking around with low body temperature, they're gaining weight, they're losing hair, they're constipated, and yeah. they're not getting diagnosed. So I'm glad you brought that up as well. So this will, the mm. bioregulator will work across the board. The only caveat is you have to have the gland. But even if they, you mentioned something earlier, Phil, I want to circle back to it for those who don't have the thyroid gland, all is not, all hope is not lost because no, no, no. there are bioregulators for adrenals for yes. now. I, I was talking with Nat Nidham, love her. I know she, oh, she yeah. adores you. And <laughs> she was saying for the thyroid, and maybe you can expand on this, that there would definitely be other bioregulators we would want to add in, not just yep. thyroid. Yep. 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 Well, if we're talking about people without thyroid glands, it would be quite a different program. But if we talk about people with thyroids who mm -hmm. want what we call a synergistic program, in other words, to take other agents that will boost the whole program. Yeah. Well, I did an interview with Professor Cavinson some time ago now, and we did a number of different issues, problems, disorders. And there was one uh, peptide bioglet that was synergistic with all of them. There were other groups, other things, don't get me wrong, but there was one that was synergistic with all of them. And, and when we think about it, it's not really a surprise because that is the blood vessel and the blood vessel peptide basically is helping the delivery of blood to the cell throughout the body. And if you think about that, if you're delivering whatever tissue it is with more blood, it's going to be delivering more nutrition and it's going to be removing more toxins. Uh -huh. So anybody who wants a boost to their thyroid program, though, I would say, yes, go in and also take the blood vessel and you can take them at the same time. I'll be get, happy to get into dosing and, and cycling and all the rest of it uh, whenever you want to. So that is a definite one. And you hit the nail on the head just a moment ago, the adrenal. And I, there are a handful of the peptides that, what I've seen in many people, fast results, you know, and big results. And the adrenal is one of them, without doubt. But when you think about it, again, perhaps it's not a big surprise when you stop and think about how many hormones do the adrenals produce, right? A lot. Yep. A lot. And yep. I think a lot of people out there are familiar with the phrase adrenal fatigue, yes. which 
you know, say come two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, they're exhausted, they want to nap, you know, and it never was like that before, and they haven't changed their program. It's adrenal fatigue, it's a burnout. And of course, or should also mention, a lot of the ladies who are entering their menopause, it's one of the problems they have, that as their estrogen levels decline, the body kind of burns the adrenals a lot harder. So again, adrenal support for the ladies of that age is a good thing, I think. Definitely, definitely. And then what would you say about other autoimmune conditions? So let's say a person has Hashimoto's, which we know in the thyroid world, 95% of all hypothyroidism is autoimmune related anyway. So what else should we be doing for that autoimmune component? Mm, that's a good, that's a good question. There is another peptide that I personally love, and I think it's got quite a long story behind it. And that's the pineal peptide bioregulator. Mm -hmm. Now, this spins us off into the story of the pineal gland, which I think is a tremendous story. I'll do it. I'll do the 10 second tour. Yeah, I think we most folks know it's a P-shaped size thing. It's in the middle of our brains. If you if you draw a line across the top of your ears in the middle of your forehead, that where they dissect would be where the pineal is, give or take. The Hindus, of course, paint the Bindu, the third eye, which is a representation of the pineal gland. There's lots of esoteric things involved with the pineal gland, which I won't mention unless you want me to. But fundamentally, there's one thing. There's not just one thing, of course, like with all hormones. But there is one thing that the pineal gland is very responsible for, and that's the production of melatonin. And melatonin is in our blood when it's dark, i.e. when we sleep. And it is an instruction to the rest of the endocrine system to know when it's night and when it's day. And, and that gets us into our circadian rhythms. And we all know how bad we feel if we miss one or two nights sleep or whatever, or if we're doing shift work or we're doing a lot of jet lag, plane tra travels. And of course, if you have a nice, healthy circadian rhythm, you have hormonal cyclicity. And if you have hormonal cyclicity, you have a good immune system. So now we begin to see how fundamental the pineal gland is. A marvelous man, I know him well, uh, Dr. Walter Pierre Pauly, who's a world melatonin expert, wrote all the early books about pineal and, and melatonin and stuff. He once said to me, and I've never forgotten it, he said, think of the pineal gland as the conductor of the endocrine orchestra. And if, if you have an orchestra, in this case, all the other hormone glands, and you'd have no conductor, what do you have? Well, you make you make noise. But if you have a conductor in the orchestra, you make music. So coming back to the peptide, it will help us endogenously, that is to say, inside our own bodies, not exogenously. I mean, you can take melatonin as a tablet. Of course you can. Mm -hmm. uh, but by taking the peptide, you're invigorating, the, you're, you're activating the genes and you're helping your own pineal gland to make more melatonin. There's another aspect to the pineal gland, which I think is very strong for in its favor. And that is, it appears to be the number one peptide for lengthening telomeres. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a big thing at the moment, that telomeres being the end caps on our chromosomes, once described as the aglets on our shoelaces, which are those bits of plastic on the end. And you can imagine if you had no bit of plastic on the end of your shoelace it would be a mess right it'd be all frayed and a mess and in some ways they think that telomeres are doing that for the chromosomes they're stopping them from unraveling and there's a lot of evidence that the longer the telomeres are 
the, the more healthy the cell is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to, we can talk about the work of uh, an American doctor called Bill Lawrence, who has been using these quote unquote Russian discoveries and Russian protocols in 130 uh, American patients, most of whom, by the way, are actually medical doctors. So, uh, <laughs> okay, very nice. Maybe they'll he'll turn those MDs into believers that peptides could be um, bioregulators could be the next wave and kick out big pharma. We won't I, need I, all of those band aid medications. I think so. And the other exciting thing is that these folks, if as it were, go home and they can incorporate this knowledge, their own personal experience into their own practices. Because number one, I've been messing about with anti-aging medicine now for more than 30 years. And the number one problem we have is I have someone come to me and say, oh, that was great. I was really excited. I really want to do that. Is there a doctor in my area that can help me? And then I, I say, well, where do you live? And they go, Paris, New York, you know, I don't know, Amsterdam, uh, you know, out of Mongolia. The problem is, you know, how do we get people within a reasonable distance that can help folks. You know, right. that, that's one of the classic problems we have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned anti-aging, Phil. So I have to go down that rabbit hole and steer just a little tiny bit off the thyroid bioregulators. I always say that I don't care if I live to be 95 or 100. Mm -hmm. I'll live till 80, but I want to look like this. I want to yeah. look young. But yeah. So what bioregulators would you recommend for us that want to truly anti-age, not just live longer? Mm -hmm. No, that's, well, that's the $64 billion question, isn't it? Oh, it's probably right. $64 trillion question in this days uh, in the, with the inflation we have at the moment. But no, I think, yeah, it's a good question. I think if you want to keep it to peptide bioregulators, I think the pineal's there. Mm -hmm. I think the pineal's there. Keeping all cells younger, healthier by elongated telomeres fundamentally and i should make reference here to a very very large human trial that was conducted in the soviet union they've done a few they've done three or four but the biggest one was eleven thousand workers factory oil and gas workers living in siberia right which is tough right it's not yeah. living in new york is it right, right. so um <laughs> and um they uh, eight thousand of them were given peptides and 3,000 of them were given vitamins as you know so in other words a placebo and they monitored these folks believe it or not over 12 years now they on they on they, they monitored a lot over six and then there was another extended period and then I think a, a smaller number but it was still a thousand people even at the very end but what they showed was and don't forget when people started they were aged between sort of 40 and 60 so you've had some of these people 12 years later, they'd well and truly retired, you know, right. and they were still following them. So what they showed was the folks on the peptides had one third of the morbidity. So in other words, they had two thirds less likely problems and they had one third of the mortality. So if you think about that, being youthful and being older kind of goes hand in hand in glove. So I think there were three principal peptides that shone. In, in that study, and that was the pineal, the blood vessel, and the thymus, because obviously thymus is greatly involved with um, with immunity. Mm -hmm. So those, those three those three stood out. Beyond that, it's interesting to look at what the Olympic teams used, 
because of course these people were incredibly fit mm-hmm. you know incredibly agile and they were they were using things like the muscle peptide the men were using testes i think some of the ladies were using ovary and also fundamentally liver and kidney and in some cases pancreas but it it does come down to you know the trouble with anti-aging medicine is where do you start and where do you end right right and everything in life is cost and convenience right right if it's super costly you're not going to do it if it's incredibly inconvenient you're not going to do it or unlikely to right so where do you start where do you end i always say to folks what's your weak point if you know what your weak point is you've got a bad thyroid gland get it fixed right yep. if you don't know what your weak point is and you and you're perhaps not doing any testing like you you should perhaps go and find out what your telomere length is what your dna methylation is etc mm-hmm. and other things look at your family history what what did mum and dad have what did grandpa and grandma have and stuff like that and that may give you a clue to say oh yeah there's a lot of diabetes in our family oh there's a lot of heart disease in our family and again address the weak point i would right. i would suggest offbeat of course there are different peptides although i wouldn't say they were peptide bioregulators for example some of my own favorites are the GHRPs, that's the growth hormone releasing peptides. A couple of quick names for you, GHRP2, GHRP6, Semirelli. They will encourage more growth hormone. Yep. This is more prudent to people who are older, right? I'm not talking about people who are 20 years old. Right. It's not going to do that yeah, much. they're if, producing enough. They don't need They're doing all right, yeah. right? But if you're way past 35, then it's going to have a big effect. Although there's a bit of a cutoff point. It is harder once you're in your 50s, I will accept that. But if you're sort of between 35 and 55, it will have the biggest impact. And you, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have better skin, better hair, more muscle, less fat. It's a very powerful tool that we have in the box. No question about that. What do you think about, see, I'm, I'm going down this rabbit hole now. What do you think about CJC and ipamorelin as compared to the GHRP to GRP6 and the semorelin? I don't have a lot of experience with that. The only uh, guy who I um, greatly uh, value is an American doctor called Rich Walker. And Rich has done a lot of studies with different um, peptides, especially JHRPs. And the interesting thing, the most interesting thing in my book with GHRP2, GHRP6, and I can't speak for the others entirely, and I hope well, they might be, but I don't know. And that is that, so, for example, if this is a graph and on the bottom we've got time and, and on this on the vertical axis, we've got the amount of growth hormone or IGF-1 in blood. OK, in a normal course of a day, 24 hours on this clock, we'd see a bit of a spike in the morning because that's the get up and go impetus. Right. That's the here's daylight. Let's get going. And then we would see several smaller um, pulsite releases of growth hormone during the day. Okay, Mm -hmm. this is why we don't like pellets, because if you stick a pellet in your bum, then I'm sorry, using a British colloquialism, (laughs) um, (laughs) you're going to have a graph like that. Well, what damage does that do? It's not bioidentical. Right. So and of course, if you take if you get up in the morning and decide to inject yourself with growth hormone, may even possibly a low dose, you're going to see what's so-called bolus injection. You're going to see quite a peak and then really not much going on. Again, is it bioidentical? Does that make it safe if you do that for many years? Okay, 
Now, when you take, according to the work of Rich Walker, when you take GHRP2, GHRP6, and there's something a bit special about Semirelium, which we can get into, what you see is exaggerated peaks greater than they were before, but natural, mm -hmm. identical. So I think, you know, because it comes down to like, and this, I'm not, I'm stealing this from the great Jonathan Wright, Dr. Jonathan Wright. He always says, you know, if we get medicine wrong, we have to ask ourselves three questions. Are we using the right molecule? Is it a bioidentical? Have we got the dose right? And the third one, which is the toughest one, have we got the timing right? Okay. okay. So, so I think there's, you know, I know that makes it complicated and I know everyone wants an easy way out. But, you know, it's what separates us from orthodox medicine, because what we're doing is highly individualized. Definitely. I, I appreciate that. I really want to pick your brain on that. And now I promise I'll bring it back to the thyroid, but I wanted to pick your brain on that for sure, just to get the anti-aging piece in there, because my listeners know that I'm huge into anti-aging. So back to that, you had mentioned cost and convenience. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about bioregulators they really are convenient to take so go ahead and go into the dosing i find this fascinating because with supplements as you know mm. you got to pretty much take them every day i mean yeah you can do some cycling in and out here and there but in yeah. order to get that therapeutic effect if i want to raise your vitamin d level i'm not going to be able to raise your vitamin d level by you taking vitamin d 10 days out of the month it's not going to happen so tell us about the dosing of okay. bioregulators of course, there are possibly different doses when people have medical issues, but we're not, we'll leave, we'll park those to one side mm -hmm. and we'll talk about folks who are healthy, but aging and they want to be a bit better, look a bit better, perform a bit better or slow aging or whatever, whatever angle we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. The typical way of starting on a peptide bioregulator is to take two capsules a day for 30 days. Okay. Mm -hmm. They call that the intensive course. All right. Now, and then that's it. You're not going to, in theory anyway, you are not ever going to take it every day again, because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get the messages, which just let me reiterate, are in food, you know, are in are in plants, are in animals. We, we wrote, sorry, I'm going to flash a book at you. We, we wrote this scientific book, which is Peptides in the Epigenetic Control of Aging. Mm hmm. We think this th these are the missing messages from food, okay, gene switches, individualized gene switches. So, so once you've done that first month, the typical regime, the 80-20 rule, in other words, 80% of people will carry on like this, is to take two capsules a day for 10 days in the month. So you are not every day, okay? Now, it's feasible that if you are a nice, healthy person and you just want to put the edge on things and you, you're really getting into preventative medicine, you can reduce that to 10 days every three months. So now you'd be, and, and the, they come in packs of 20 capsules, right? Which is a 10 day course, right? Yep. And now you're looking at four packs a year, oh, right? That's crazy. That's so, I think that's so doable. Right. And I'll throw a number out there and I know it's not always good to quote money because times change and all the rest of it. And there are some differences between the peptides, but you're looking at about $40 for a box. Right. Peptides, okay. So suddenly you might say to yourself, oh, $160 a year. 
compared to some other specialized supplements that are out there seems like a bargain. <laughs> it kind of does. And even compared to co-pays for mm. medication, it seems like a bargain. So how yeah. long now I know everybody's going to be different. I know everyone's going to, but how long approximately would it take mm. for someone? Let's say they even did the medical dosing, the, the more severe case dosing and taking it once a day for 30 days, maybe even once a day for 60 days. And then you start spacing it out. How long before they start to see a change? Typically depends on the patient, of course, depends on the uh, peptide in question, but typically one to three months okay. is, is an impact. We'll have some kind of impact. If people have medical problems, we tend to say, stay on two capsules a day. And at least until such time as you've seen improvement. Mm -hmm. But no, but no, I think in the majority of cases, one to three months, I've certainly known people who've done, say, before and after testosterone checks, for example, in men. And, you know, within two months, they've said, I've definitely seen an increase or, you know, those sorts of things. So it might be a bit long. I mean, the trouble with the telomere testing is um, most of the folks I know don't go and have their telomeres tested every month. That they might do right. it once a year or something like that. Again, cost and convenience. Right. But no, one to three months, I would say, is typical. And that's, you know, that's what we say for hormones. Even when we start using bioidentical hormone replacement, we say, you know, you got to give it three months. Yeah. When we start optimizing thyroid with medication, we, you got to give it three months. So yeah. that is completely doable and logical to give it a really nice chunk of time before you start to see results either in yourself or even results in your, as you said, your body temp or your lab. So that's, that's completely doable. Amy, I'd like to mention something here, if I may, that I hope mm -hmm. will be able to stress. And, and that is coming back to the, the Soviet research, the Russian research. What they said was, is that every cell, every cell in our body has a biological reserve of about 30%. And and the peptides seem to release or activate this biological reserve. And it seems to be across the board, i.e. in animals, in plants and in humans. Mm -hmm. And Cavinson has gone as far as to suggest that if the maximum lifespan currently is 120 years, right, give or take, and that most people are living on average to about 80, even that difference is about 30 percent. Mm -hmm. So is it? Is it feasible that somehow these supercentenarians are activating their biological reserves? Okay. And yeah. I very quickly will mention this. And what I'm about to mention is only months old. And it comes from Tel Aviv, University of Tel Aviv. They've yeah. been doing experiments with some of these peptide bioregulators with strawberries. And they find that the strawberries that are using certain peptides, and forgive me, I don't know which ones off the top of my head, are producing 30% more fruit. You'll find that this number comes up again and again and again. It's quite extraordinary. That makes complete sense because I've, I have always thought this, I've never said it on a podcast, but you know, when you think about aging and just like you said, Phil, we really are meant to live to 120. Now, none of us can conceive that because you only see one or two people featured in the news for their hundredth birthday, Right. You don't see 100, 110, you, we don't see 120 ever in our lifetime, but that's what our, the human body was made. Yeah. It just makes sense that there's something being held back, be it our environment, chemical toxicity, the foods that we eat, lack of nutrients, whatever it is. So if this could be the key 
that turns on the ability to live longer. And like I said, you, you got to look good and feel good as you're living longer. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so that brings me to one of my last questions for you. What about big pharma? So we already saw big pharma coming in and what is terzepatide? What is semaglutide? Now that they are the Beverly Hills soccer mom drug of choice for weight loss now, but it costs you two grand a month to do it because big pharma came in and said, look at that peptide. It works. Bam. Now you need a prescription for it. What are we looking at for bioregulators? Could that happen? Well, who knows? You know, they have got so much money, power and influence across the board, as we've seen in recent events, and I won't get you delisted by mentioning them. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) And the craziness of all that, you know, so it could happen, but there is one prevailing advantage to these bioregulators. They are in food. Okay. And, and it, it, although they could try and stamp out the supplements as food supplements or whatever, because the bottom line with most of the world's authorities is they accept that food supplements exist, but they do not want them to do anything. And they certainly don't want you to mention a medical problem when you mention the food supplement, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the challenges. The whole nutritional world knows that. It's a challenge. How the hell do you tell people that vitamin C's got certain advantages for them? You know, that's a challenge that everybody in the industry is aware of. So it is going to be very, very difficult to put an outright ban on as I say, substances, some of the peptides that are out there on the market right now would have a hard job, very hard job to justify themselves under the Dietary Health and Supplement Act, right? But these peptides can justify themselves under the, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I'm not a lawyer, but in my opinion, could have a justification. So I think it will be harder for them just very quickly I, i'm sorry to take too much of your time up but mm. i just wanted to mention a study that came out of amsterdam in 2016 they had a bunch of ladies 10 or 12 that were all centenarians every one of those ladies was over 100 one lady was what they call a super centenarian which means she was over 110 mm-hmm. that's i think right now in the world you know there aren't 20 people on the planet that are verifiably over 110. It's very rare to get to 110. Anyway, they had one lady that was. They Every week, they, they went to them and they took a small sample of their blood and they monitored their blood for stem cell activity and telomere length. What they found was in every single lady, and the eldest lady lived to be 113, they found that in the last two weeks of their life, two to three weeks of their lives, the stem cell activity plummeted, the telomere length dramatically shortened. So now the big question now then would be, is that cause or is that consequence? Okay, because nobody ever talks about death. Well, not never, but rarely talk about death markers. They talk about biological age markers, but there are also death markers. Right, right. So I know it's the other side of the coin, but but I hope somebody finds that interesting. That's very interesting. No, that's very interesting because I, I think the possibilities are endless mm. with what mother nature is giving us because yeah. it's not going to come in the form of a big pharma drug. So. No. And and of course, if you think about most drugs that go into the body, they kind of crash and bash about hoping to meet a receptor that they can utilize and what other damage when you've got 
a peptide found in food that has existed ever since, you know, life has existed. Right. Um, that's nano sized and acts directly on genes. Doesn't go to receptors, goes directly to genes. In fact, the Russians have got all these incredible slides, which you end up putting 3D glasses on to see the interaction between the peptide and the gene and the gene reacting. So, you know, it's fundamental. Most drugs are treating symptoms and they're not treating the root cause. Right. Most. Absolutely. Well, Phil, I, I I apologize for having to cut this short. I know we both have schedules here, but I want to bring you back on because I feel like we could talk for another hour and just go down a couple of different rabbit holes we didn't even get a chance to touch on today. So for those listening that are interested in the thyroid bioregulator, the thyreogen, we have that on my store. And then we're going to have a link in the show notes as well to all of the other bioregulators that you can get from IAS, which is Phil's, this is like your, your baby, right, Phil? This is like your, yeah. yeah. I've been doing it a long time and it, it stands for International Anti-Aging Systems. And we mm -hmm. nailed our flag to that post along uh, three decades ago. Yeah. So uh, we like to think of ourselves as one of the pioneers in the field. You really are. You really are. And, and I mean, there's a ton on there beyond bioregulators. So that's why I'd like to bring you back on and really go down the peptide rabbit hole. Some of the things that you have on there for thyroid are just fascinating. So we'll plan that out. We'll have you maybe just do a part one and part two. And if anyone prefers a magazine type format, we have a magazine called Aging Matters and uh, folks can either buy them or they can download them free of charge. So uh, look us up. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Phil. We'll have all of your info in the show notes. Thank you.